What, uh, uh, what are your favorite dumb questions, Jordan? Well, <laughs> before we talk about dumb questions, I was, I, I was hoping to get in the first word here because I have something to get off of my chest. Okay. Here. Hey, look at that. Yeah. Here, check it out. Jordan just handed me the one of one t-shirt that says buy the old books it even says one of one right on it <laughs> does this meet your approval this mr is, blood yeah this is great i think it looks pretty nice i'm hopeful that uh, feeding the hungry will like this t-shirt and wear it every day and wear it to bed and and uh to the store to the schools wherever and that everyone will ask this person where did you get that wonderful t-shirt great idea i should buy the old books yeah, that looks great. Yeah, old old books um, gets us right into this. Uh, uh, what, 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 was, what was your first comment? Uh, now I'm going to hand this out to uh, a friend of a friend, right? Who's going to pass this T-shirt along. So by the time you hear this, Feeding the Hungry, hopefully you will have your prize, the first prize given out by the Mind Virus Show. Congratulations. And uh, by the way, I am Jordan Bruno, and sitting across from Bobby Flood here, it is June 6th, 2022. Yeah. A beautiful summer morning here in uh, the unnamed state of Utah, confusion, wherever Shadows we are. Shadows of the everlasting <laughs> hills. The crossroads of the West. Yeah, it's kind of rainy out there, isn't it? It's really nice, actually. Yeah. It's very nice. There's a slight chance of rain today. Uh, beautiful morning, and it looks like we're going to have uh, some hotter weather towards the end of the week and really get into summer. But uh, yeah, we'll give out this t-shirt, and then we will have done what we said we were going to do. And uh, anyway, you started off uh, today, uh, I've, had, I've had a little bit of a short conversation with Bobby before we started here. He kicked over a hornet's nest over the weekend on uh, Twitter. A small one, because it's on Twitter, and it's not representative of anything, but I, I ask but a you simple... you ask a question. Simple question. And, and, and it involves the old books, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think in, in a way it does. Um, now, we've already lost listeners over talking about this sort of thing, so if, if you're sensitive to um, Here, difficult okay. topics, stop listening now. But l- let me say that I think that, I think that, let me fix my levels here while I think that. I think that, that having difficult conversations is supposed to be acceptable, uh, not just acceptable, but, but, but expected, especially in our, uh, in our current, uh, religious culture like we're mormons we've said that over and over 
we're both uh, believing Mormons. I think that's important because that's the first thing anybody asks when you hear someone's Mormon. They and what's the follow up? Are they active? Well, that's the diff. I think those are two different questions. Are they, they active are. or are they believing? They because are. what? And then the then the next question is, well, what is it that you believe? Right. But I, but I think it's important to say that we we both. And who gets to say what a Mormon is? <laughs> Or are we even Mormons anymore? No, depending on which branch, which branch of the Joseph Smith. Uh, well, it's which brand now? Brand is it brand? It's marketing nowadays. Okay, but and but I do think it's important to say that we both have a we grew up in in the Mormon Church, the LDS Church, and uh, I I. I think I speak for us both. We're not setting out to try to undermine anything or to convince anybody that something's wrong or that you should leave. When I say something wrong, I mean <clears throat> like doctrinally or what we are doing is... Well, I've already, I've already expressed my, uh, that I have disagreements uh, with the correlation committee. Sure. So I think that when you say, see, these are broad sweeping statements. That I want to qualify every single one of them <laughs> right? because I appreciate... Joseph Smith as an authentic messenger sent by God with a message. How about that? So that, but then that opens up a whole host of questions. Well, what did Joseph say? Does any one of the branches of, let's call it Mormonism, uh, people who come from that lineage of religious philosophical thought in America from the 1830s, because there are uh, w- one thing that's not well understood in in latter day saint culture we'll call it, some people call them the mountain saints or the uh, the church of jesus christ of latter day saints that's the the big one right the the church of jesus christ of latter day saints is the the branch of uh descending from joseph smith's philosophical religious thought that became the largest the one that came out and settled in the west so when scholars and, and and um, teachers talk about this. You have to, if, if you're going to acknowledge that there are other branches, which for the longest time, the LDS Church, and I'll, I'm going to call our branch, the biggest branch, the LDS Church. I think that's the, the easiest way to identify it. Or the Mountain Saints is some, what some people say. But for the longest time, we were reticent to admit that there were all these other breakoff groups. And only about half of the people that were following Joseph Smith in Nauvoo in the 1840s actually came west with Brigham Young. That's a, that's a little known fact. And we just assume since we're the biggest, we're the only one sometimes. We're not taught about other groups. So there are a lot of people that follow from Joseph Smith's tradition. And then you have, you have groups that have broken off when they came out here in the West, like the fundamentalist polygamists and others that have separated, that still uh, believe in Joseph Smith's teachings. So one, one thing that I find the most that makes me the most sorrowful is that many people who find problems with the corporate LDS church will tend to throw out the baby with the bathwater. They end up deciding for various reasons that Joseph Smith was a skirt-chasing charlatan, and then they leave in a huff, throw everything out, and uh, the, a lot of them end up throwing Jesus out and God out, and, and many, many of them uh, get caught up in the quote-unquote loving embrace of the statist left, which really, I think, as if you've been listening to this show, uh, I could probably speak for both me and Bobby and say, we're not 
excited with the statist left. <laughs> well, the, there's, the, the good news is that you can get swallowed up by the statist left now and not have to leave the church altogether. Well, that's, I think, maybe what we want to talk about, <laughs> or, or maybe that's related to what we want to talk about, or we find ourselves in troubling times. Does that sound like a conference talk? I think Gordon B. Hinckley said that one time. <laughs> and I guess what I'm trying to say earlier is that I, I think that it's okay. We should have these difficult conversations, and you can, you can take it or leave it, but I think having difficult, uncomfortable conversations is important for intellectual and spiritual growth and understanding and further light and knowledge. But something happened. I, the reason I asked, I, I opened The question this, you asked was? What is your favorite dumb question or what are some of your favorite dumb questions? And now I know all of you are wondering, well, how is that related to what we just... <laughs> maybe some of you know, but do you, want to answer the, do you want to answer the question before we... What's my favorite dumb question? Yeah, or one of your favorite dumb questions. Well, that's tough because, I mean, I, I remember in elementary school, you know, from time to time, you go to these motivational assemblies or you get a teacher or a speaker or, or a fireside or something. You know, we, obviously we grew up Mormons, so our religion and our education were closely intertwined. We had, you, you and I both had release time, right, in middle school and high school, which is where you would, right. you would leave the... If you're, if you're not LDS or, or Mormon, or if you don't understand the culture and you're listening to this, congratulations. Welcome to the Mind Virus Show. I hope you've been listening for a while. It's an interesting flavor of Americanism. But uh, the young LDS kids in Utah, they have the opportunity to leave school for one of the class periods. And leave, uh, leave the paternal embrace of the state. They, yeah, they leave the literal state-owned property, and they walk usually to an adjacent property owned by the church. Yeah, 40 church, feet away from the school building. Where, where the state buys their, their school properties, the church will, next to junior high schools, middle schools, or uh, high schools, they will purchase uh, a plot of land to put a church or a seminary, what they call a seminary building. And so if you're not part of the Mormon LDS culture, generally seminary is reserved for special people, people that are different, let's just call them that, that want to be pastors, people that want to, right. to uh, end up... Professional clergy, yeah. theologians. And then, and then in, the, in the LDS culture, the idea is we send all of our kids through seminary, anybody that we can possibly send through it. And one thing we may or may not have talked about here on the podcast, though, the interesting thing that during the Heber J. Grant era, we standardized uh, the idea that we were going to give the priesthood to all men and make sure the kids started getting it at age 12. That, that was not a thing for the prior 70 years. Now, it was, it was increasingly common to see more men join in with priesthood after Joseph Smith died, but it does shed some light on the verse. For, it's in the mid-50s in section 20 where uh, the scripture says that those who receive the priesthood will do so as per the gifts and callings of God unto them, which is interesting. We don't, we don't really think much about that. It's expected that at age 12, a young man will receive, be received into the order of priesthood. Now, that 
begs this whole question. <laughs> what is a dumb question? <laughs> is it, what, what is a dumb question? Well, I, I was told. I think, I think that, yeah, once you've asked, once you've asked a dumb question, you kind of know. It's like, oh, okay, I should have known. What when you when you should have done your homework and you ask a question when you're when you're standing around and and you ask a question. You're you're in a group of people. You're not paying attention, and then you you pop the question that they just answered three seconds ago. Yeah, that's when you you, you get that feeling. That's kind of a dumb question, right? Well. It's not a dumb question and, in and of itself. And it's you can just be forgiven that, for that. Yeah, and we've all done stuff like that. We're not paying like attention, so that's kind of a dumb question. Right, and, and maybe that leads us into what we're, we're getting at. But as far as... Are there dumb questions that you can ask God? Right, if you have a sincere concern or thought or idea or, mis, or, or, or dilemma uh, question is the word I'm dancing around some unanswered thing in your head is there ever a, is it ever inappropriate to ask god about that apparently it is okay <laughs> apparently it is and let, let me play the clip if i can find it here this was recently uh, and it was, um, sorry, I'm scrolling, looking for this clip. This was, um, this was uh, uh, at a, some kind of fireside, I guess. And I'm, I'm, there's an ad on the clip, of course, because why not? Because it's YouTube. Okay, so uh, this is, um, okay, this is called the Rising Generation Fireside. It was given uh, on May 22nd, 2022 with Utah Area President Elder Kevin W. Pearson. Uh, and I guess this was in Bountiful, Utah, either on the 22nd or the 25th. It lists both days. What's Pearson's responsibility in the LDS Church? Well, being the Utah Area President, he would preside over the Utah Area. Is that all of Utah? I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but probably I we'll guess. Put, we'll post a clip to this uh, <clears throat> snippet of the talk. But he's he's it's fairly that's a fairly influential calling. Well, right, Utah is the what would you call it? The epicenter, the foundation, the <coughs> the main part of the hive. <laughs> yeah, it is, and and. Uh, uh, being a being an area authority or an area president is it's a is big deal. Pretty pretty influential, I guess. In the hierarchy, you'd have a bishop, a stake president, area seventies, and then the area presidency and the area president. And so he's the president. And then ab above that, I guess you would have then the quorum of the twelve, 12 right? right? So he's the president of the Utah area. Anyway, this is a short clip from an address and. In fairness, I haven't listened to the entire speech. I've just listened to this clip, but I think this clip is not taken out of context because it reiterates his point several times. But let's just play it because I know our listeners are, are trying to understand what we're getting at today. All right, hold on. I just screwed it up. 
technology. Had the volume down, <laughs> and I accidentally took a screenshot on my phone instead of adjusting the volume, which is a bad design, uh, bad design uh, on these iPhones. Okay, here we go. Do not pray about whether or not you should go on a mission. Dumb question. When it's the commandment from a living prophet, and it's your priesthood duty, that's a given. Now, you can pray to have the courage. You can pray to have a confirmation of that in your life. But asking Heavenly Father, who's commanded his prophet to command you to go, whether or not you should go, seems like not a very good thing to be asking God. Right? Okay, and he's he, behind him. He's got some youth that are all kind of chuckling because apparently what he says is funny. I, I didn't find it funny at all. Well, I think the tone <clears throat> says a lot too. It's like, hey, dumb question. And right. I think uh, you, when you put this out on Twitter, you ask the question, what? Uh, I, I put it out twice on Twitter. Yeah, but didn't you ask somebody um, a question, something like, if... Uh, if a young man doesn't go on a mission, does he need to repent? And then you got called a dumb A for that yeah, by that, one of the guys that, among there. Were, there was a, that was where the small hornet's nest got kicked over. What do, what do we call this small hornet's nest? A couple hundred people? <laughs> no, uh, fifty people. But, but that was that was a different post that kind of stemmed from this. I did put that clip out there, and I did ask the question: Why is a influential person in the church advising young people not to pray? That's the thing. I think that's the big, the crux of today's discussion rests right there. And he dumb he, question: Should I go on a mission? Dumb question. That's the, what he. I am not. I'm not taking that out of context, am I? That's what no. I heard. That's the second time I've heard the clip. And he he says it's because the question's already been answered. It's a commandment and a priesthood duty, and that's where we can get into some barbed wire. And 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 my question of. If a man, if a young man does not serve, does he need to repent? Quickly became, yes, he does because it's a commandment. And yet, where is that commandment, and what is a commandment? Well, now, um, when we were younger, and we're pretty close to the same age, when we were younger, the mantra "every young man should serve a mission" was talked about often in. Um, general conference in mm -hmm. our youth sure. youth meetings and whatnot. And then Thomas Monson later on qualified it. They We went through a period of raising the bar, and I was in the young men's programs as a leader. And I think this is in the early 2000s where we, we went through uh, as a church this, this sort of metamorphosis where we realized, hey, look, not everybody's cut out for it. Every, every young man should prepare to serve a mission. That was what Thomas Monson as uh, was he in the first presidency at the time, or was it when he was prophet? I, I can't. Don't, I don't president. I, I should qualify that president. He. Uh, I want to say the raising the bar originated with Hinckley, President Hinckley. I think so, but it was about but, the time but then Thomas Monson qualified it, and after the whole raising the bar and said every young man should prepare to serve a mission, and then that's sort of been the. Uh, the language the that's well, for, been used. I think for a time the language was softened until recently uh, because I think a lot of the numbers are down. But the 
the mantra that you mentioned, the every young man should serve a mission, has its origins in 1974. Okay. See, I didn't know when that was. Who was it? Which? President Kimball. President Kimball said it. Now, now, people before him had encouraged people to go on a mission, young people to go on a mission, but it was kind of ramped up with, with him and in the, in the address he gave. And I've done a little homework on this recently because I was asking the question, if a young man does not serve, does he need to repent? Which sparked from that clip we just played, where the, he says it's a dumb question because the question has already been asked and answered. It's a commandment and a priesthood duty. So I did a little homework because we, we accept in our culture that it's a given, that it's a commandment. Did you run across the Joseph Smith quote in your homework where he says, relative to missionary work, that we should never send a boy to do a man's job? I did not. Okay. <laughs> I'll find that one then. <laughs> you keep talking. <laughs> but, but what I couldn't find was the commandment. I couldn't find the commandment. Well, that's... And, and then that brings up, that peels, you know, this is a layered thing, and, and why Twitter is a horrible medium for, to have a conversation like this. What, what is a commandment? When, when, <clears throat> when is a commandment issued and how? But I couldn't find the commandment. There's plenty of statements from modern presidents of the church and apostles since 1974 that use language like strongly encourage or should go or, uh, you know, we admonish, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any, any instance of a church leader saying, you are command- I command you to go, and that, that's very strong language. But there, there is some kind of language like, the Lord has commanded it. Like even in this clip, right? He says, the Lord commanded the prophet to command you. I don't, I don't necessarily like that uh, chain, of, <laughs> chain of custody for revelation. I think especially a mission, which is a personal decision, whether or not to serve is a personal decision that every person, every young person must make. One hundred percent should pray over. Uh, that's a personal decision that they make with the Lord, directly. And so I, I don't like that chain of custody. I'm calling it for the for that revelation. But I could not find a definitive commandment. So that was one part of it. Well, um, the other part. Let me just finish that thought. Fine, the other part. Fine. Okay, it's a commandment and priesthood duty. I couldn't find any, again, definitive instance where serving a two-year LDS mission is a priesthood duty. Now, there's plenty of talk in, about sharing the gospel and preaching and things like that, but that can all be done in all kinds of ways. Right. Everyone who has been warned should warn their neighbor. There's plenty. Of, there were people in the Twitter thread that claimed that serving a two-year LDS mission when you're... 19 or now 18 is part of the oath and covenant of the priesthood and I went to the oath and covenant of the priesthood which is generally considered to be DNC 8433 through oh, 4850 if I'm remembering right and again there's nothing there that is specific or uh, real definitive so anyway, that's, <laughs> that's the conversation that I've been having with myself and a few others online recently, and I think it's worth 
having in this context with you and, and our listeners. Again, I, let, me, let me say, again, if, if you are a young person considering serving a mission, great, you should go. I think it's a good thing to do if the Spirit and if the Lord is urging you to, to serve. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, uh, to discourage that at all. We both went, and I think we had good positive experiences. Okay, so that's kind of the bedrock. Well, <clears throat> the, okay. I'm disappointed in the tone of the whole thing. Dumb question. Oh, the, the tone that he strikes, and I, I'll have to watch the rest of it, or at least more of it, <clears throat> is extremely condescending. Yeah. Dumb question. Like, it's a given that it's a dumb question. It's an extremely important question that can shape, you know, the direction of a young person's life for the next X number of years. It can be very influential experience, good or bad. I think there's plenty of missionaries that go out there and waste their time and their parents' money, and, you know, <laughs> that can set the tone for the rest of their life. And Anyway, we could get into that, but it's... A, yeah, I mean, we a, could talk about missions here. We could talk about... There's a lot of things we could talk about, and I think the w one thing that I want to sort of address is what I think has been a changing culture of responsibility in the church. We've, in our lifetimes, we have centralized a great deal of what what used to be religious responsibility up the line up into Salt Lake. Like, do you remember the budget meetings when we were kids? Yeah. Like, I'm old enough to remember being in those meetings with the adults, uh, got dragged there by my mom or something because I don't know why. They were trying to drum up money to keep the electrical bill on in this in the church house. Right most of you that are listening probably won't remember that, but you used to have a situation where the local stake was responsible for the building from its construction to its, uh, you know, the, the payments on it all the way to the up upkeep and electrical. And from, I think it was Henry Moyle that was related to, uh, in the 1960s, there was a big building program in especially Utah and Western states and whatnot to try and build church buildings and get people to uh, out to, you know, so we had more chapels for everybody. By the way, do you know uh, what the first chapel was that Joseph Smith built? Name all the chapels that Joseph Smith built. <laughs> I don't think he ever built one. He never one. built a chapel. No, he built That's uh, interesting. He they, built the Kirtland Temple. He tried to build a couple temples. And he tried to build the Nauvoo Temple. Uh, I've done a little research on this. It's difficult to find evidences of things that uh, of something that doesn't exist. Because once you, f if, if you're trying to say that something doesn't exist, then any one single evidence disproves your theory, right? So, the best I can find is is that in the mid 1850s, the saints built the Bountiful Tabernacle. That was one of the first buildings that they they constructed as a group that wasn't like a temple. Right. And there was a chapel given religious to, building. Right. Th there was a chapel given to the saints because the the guys in the British mission converted a whole congregation and they they it was saying I think it was given to them in 1834 
and then they sold it in 1836. <laughs> right. And that whole congregation emigrated, which is not a thing we do anymore. We used to be bringing everybody to out to Salt Lake and then that, or, or to, to Nauvoo, first to Kirtland, then to Nauvoo. Missouri was involved there. And then it was, it was Kirtland, then Missouri. Then we got chased out of Missouri and then it was Nauvoo and then it was Salt Lake and all the, all the saints, quote unquote, the believers were gathering. And so, so things are a little different now. And uh, anyway, this is a tangent. Uh, you know, Mormon history really is kind of an electric fence. If you get into it and you get too much notoriety, you can get kicked out of the church. Uh, hopefully neither Bobby or I will get <laughs> in trouble for this. But you need to realize these are, these are honest questions. On, this is an honest discussion about who we really are. What are we really as... Mormons, what's our heritage? What, 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 what's our duty? What's our responsibility? And, I, and, I, and I'm off on a tangent. I was saying that I, we've sort of farmed out a lot of our own personal and, and community responsibilities to the corporate church. We'll call that the hierarchy. You think of it however you want, but things that used to be taken care of locally are now well, even even our our week to week subcontracted. Yeah, essentially. even our week to week uh, like lesson. Correct. Cri- uh, well, yeah, the curriculum, curriculum. definitely. But yeah, and that, and that's a that's another good point. Is that okay? So the money the money got centralized, and you can look at it two different ways. You can look at it as if, as if we are subcontracting it out, so we don't want to do it. But but these were decisions made by our parents and grandparents, and therefore. We don't really have a say in it. Like if Bobby and I are in the same ward and we wanted to bring our local chapel back under our local control and make our decisions about that, there's no way we could do it. That sure. horse has left the barn. That uh, That's no longer an option because it's been centralized by the church. Uh, you remember how stakes used to own properties up in the mountains? You know, that's not a thing anymore. You don't, right. you don't do stuff like that as a stake. We don't do road shows. Uh, right. I I uh, I grew up on a literally next to a steak farm, an apple farm, and we would go out and I think we've mentioned this before, but I'd go out and every fall we would gather those apples. Right? Right. Like a good neighbor, steak farm is there. <laughs> <laughs> that farm, by the way, now is a, a bunch of houses, a bunch of homes, and a high school. Yeah, I mean, and things change. Progress happens like that, but but what I mean, could it's debatable whether or not it's progress, but yeah, things change, right. especially in a in a in a growing suburban valley. valley where every square inch of available land is eventually going to be developed into something. Right, but the thing is that that your stake didn't get to make that decision. That's the thing. Probably it not. It used to own that orchard, and then all of a sudden, it didn't. <laughs> Is it Ensign Peak Advisors? Who's making these decisions? We don't know. We're not privy right. to that. They stopped in the in the 50s or 60s, stopped giving financial disclosures. And, and a lot of people say, hey, look, it's no big deal. But this is, this is interesting. In 1831, Joseph Smith told the Relief Society that they were prone to excess zeal and that they were being darkened in their minds because they were neglecting the duty de- that devolved upon themselves and they were depending too much upon the prophet. That's a, that's a loaded statement there, you know? That's 1831. Right. And, and so w- w- 
think about it. What things did our parents and grandparents do and what responsibilities did they have that got sent up the line? Fast offerings, for example, got centralized. Uh, the funds for the buildings. A lot of people think that's great. The tithing fund is managed. We don't have we don't have any worries anymore because the church has got it well in hand. They they're making tons of money off of the tithing fund, and so they can build the buildings and they can be responsible for it. And then they get to give you the key cards, and then they can tell you whether or not your the policy allows for you to have a wedding there, or for you to have a dance recital there, or what days you can enter the building, you know, those decisions have been steadily removed from your local control and pushed up the line. And a lot of people think that's good. Why, why would they think that's good? Well, it, 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 uh, simplifies things. Uh, it takes the burden of ownership off of the local, uh, congregation somewhat. We, we still need, they got rid of the professional cleaners and maintainers. That used to be kind of a job, an actual Oh yeah, people, people dependent on that for their livelihood, yeah. They got rid of those, and now it's just done voluntarily with an occasional pro crew that will come in and quote-unquote Do deep, the real cleaning. clean, because <laughs> uh, I think we've all been involved in building cleaning, and we all want to get in and out of there as quickly as possible. No one wants the bathroom assignment, so you show up early to get the easy one, like cleaning the glass doors or vacuuming. Well, one thing that has uh, steadily evolved in our lifetimes is this idea that the church is the same everywhere. You go, like you mentioned, the curriculum's been standardized, and even every week, you know, you're pretty much within a week or two likely to have the same lessons and same, same topics discussed, potentially the same <laughs> or similar sacramental talks, I know, I know that those differ because they're drawing. They, they tend to draw those from general conference, but that's that's a churchwide standard now. It didn't used to be ten or fifteen years ago. It wasn't like your your bishop or your stake had to draw everything from general conference. And now it's now it's being required. They're they're being instructed that they draw the material from conference, and so it's a from the most recent conference. It's a regurgitation of the most recent things that were said in. Uh, general conference, which is, of course, mostly um, an instructive, selective, instructive type of a, an environment. It's not very much of a conference. There's not a lot of conferring that goes on. Well, and this gets back to the heart of the matter, and because the centralization of of well everything, but especially curriculum and teaching, makes it difficult and uncomfortable to have difficult, uncomfortable conversations. Like the question I asked on Twitter really should be something that uh, we talk about in an open, candid way in like an elders quorum or a Sunday school about does a, does a person who, and maybe not that specific question, but that type of thing, right? And we should, we should get in, we should get into stuff like that because that's the gospel. Well, that's that's that, the seeking yeah, by the, truth and 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 learning. The elephant in the room here though is what level of granular control should the 15 or the or the first presidency have over the the body of the church. That I know that's a very sterile way to to frame it, but what level of granular control should they have? I think that's a very descriptive way <clears throat> to look at it because that's what they have right now. They have granular high resolution control over not only what happens, not only over the money but over the thoughts right. of the people. Well, and even recently over 
personal medical decisions. <laughs> They've poked their nose into that tent. Well, uh, yeah, the actions. Uh, and, and Mormons traditionally have been very much the type of people that want to, quote, live their religion, right? So, so the religion involves paying attention to the president of the church and what he says. And in this case, you have, is Elder Pearson is his name? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Right. You have him in indicating that God commanded Russell Nelson, and therefore it's clear, you don't even need to ask about it, it's clearly God's commandment. Right. I'd like to talk about the word commandment. Yeah, well, yeah, let's, t- let's talk about not just the word, but what is, what constitutes a commandment in the religious sense? Because Jesus uses that words a lot, that word a lot, right? And I'm glad you brought Jesus into it. Where's our, what's our primary source? What's kind of our go-to source on the words of Jesus? Where, what does Christendom look at? What, what new, body of text? The new, the new Testament. New Testament. New Testament, right? Especially, you know, the the Gospels, right? Especially the Gospels, uh, the letters of Paul, John's Revelation. There, you know, the New Testament's kind of the the words of Christ, right? Now, I would add. The Book of Mormon as well, because he's qu- quoted firsthand in there a lot. But right, and then but, the Doctrine and the Covenants. And the Doctrine and Covenants is really you get good a lot too. of words of Christ, right? And so uh, there's a little bit of a debate when you get into studying the language and the semantics here over how should we interpret the words? Because what does commandment mean in, mean in standard English? I command you. Yeah, it's an authoritative, forceful word. It's it's often that's often, you know, kind of issued or talked about in military sense, like your commanding officer, you know, who issues orders, and you must mm-hmm. follow these orders. So uh, I think that uh, based on Joseph Smith's mode of learning and his comments, if you read the, the, uh, his, his comments from the notes of what we commonly call the King Follett Discourse, April 7th, 1844, his last general conference address, I think it's clear that he was keenly interested in the root meanings of the words and where they came from. He gets into a discussion of the Elohim, that being plural, and what the first words of the Bible are. I also see in Doctrine and Covenants section 10, which was given in 1829, that the Lord essentially set it followed the same pattern where he says to Joseph Smith, behold, this is my church. This is towards the end of the section, verses 65 to 67 or something like that. Behold, this is my church. Those who repent and come unto me. And um, he goes on further to state, you know, if you say anything more or less than this is my church, claim it to be my church. You're not in my church. <laughs> Go read that. It's quite, it's actually more, more, uh, forceful than the way I'm putting it, right. but uh, this is my church, those who repent and come unto me. So that that idea of uh, changing your heart and mind and, and coming out, cha- changing who you were, coming out of that and becoming one of his, very, very closely matches with the Greek term ekklesia. Ekklesia means the called out ones or the congregation. And it came to mean church, and over time it, it, it came to have this connotation of institutional church, but it really means called out ones or the assembly, right? And it, it doesn't necessarily mean an institution. And so uh, th- this is uh, 
it's been a very big point of contention amongst the churches in the last 2,000 years. For example, for example, William Tyndale, who was is credited with being one of the instigators of the English Bible, he was excommunicated and then killed, burnt at the stake by the Catholic Church. And by the way, I think they strangled him before they burned him at the stake because you can't have heretics speaking out, <laughs> telling people things. Because, see, the mind, a thought is that powerful, right? So, anyway, one of the charges they read at his execution was that he wouldn't translate the word ecclesia as church. They wanted to have a lock on what church is. Well, here in 1829, in section 10, we the LDS, the Mormons, have an insight into the mind of God where he says, behold, this is my church, those who repent and come unto me. And that's it. I mean, he's very clear that that's it. And, uh, and those are, those are some, some uh, loaded words there, church and repent and come unto Christ, right? What, is, what do all those things actually mean? We, we ought to talk about that. But here, here you have a, uh, an investigation of what the word actually means. The Lord is using it in the Greek sense. And so when, when I say this, I think I say it with some authority that the word commandment, I do not think that word means what we think it means. <laughs> uh, it is a very military-styled term, uh, and a lot of the language in the scriptures relates to military environment because one of the name titles of our God Jesus Christ is the Lord of the hosts or the heavenly armies. That's what Lord of hosts is. That's what Yahweh Sabaoth literally means. Yahweh or Jehovah, God of the Sabaoth. Saba meaning army, Sabaoth meaning the plural armies, the hosts of heaven. That's the Lord of hosts. So when you get this militaristic language in the scriptures, it's, it's important to realize what it is. You have a war against good or a war against evil by good playing out here in this world. And we've talked about that extensively, right? There, didn't we do uh, a lengthy episode on war where we talked about war and we talked about it in the cosmic sense? I think we called it war. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I think so. Well, <clears throat> real quick here. The best, the best source on the word commandment is John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And, um, and I have spent some time, some significant time, studying the Greek language, especially New Testament Greek. And my teacher told me that a better interpretation of that was, if you love me, stand watch like a sentinel awaiting my instructions. The, the reason for that is that the uh, word keep, tereo, the reason it's keep in English is because it sort of relates to the castle keep. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a, if it were really, if, if it weren't constructed this way in Greek, we would maybe say something like, if you, if you really love me, do what I say, do my commandments. But instead he says keep, which is to stand watch, tereo, stand watch like a sentinel. Like imagine yourself as a sentinel in an army, because you're part of the hosts, standing watch, in the dark, at night, on the wall or on the fringe, you're the sentinel, you're the sentry, you're the, you're the guard standing watch awaiting the instructions of your commanding officer. That's the verb entole, the, the commandments. 
it's not a verb. <laughs> that's that's the, the noun, entele. These are the instructions from the war leader to who? To you specifically or to the army at large? Could be both, but generally in an army, you have a lot of different people doing different things. Mm-hmm. And so the context of the commandments is always personal. And that's the big key here is that the instructions... Anytime you see the word commandment in the scriptures, I want to give you permission. If you're willing to take permission from me, I want to give you permission to use the word instruction. Listen to my instructions. Keep or stand watch listening to my instructions. When they say keep the commandments, this is a different context than somehow some ecclesiastical leader, a magisterial officer, can tell you that the book says this and therefore you must do thus and such. No, it's about the war leader to his trusted servants, his, tr- his, his warriors, <laughs> to do certain things. That's what the command is. And so that's what, this is what rubs me so raw over the, the tone of that being a dumb question. I, and, and, and I feel maybe as a young man, I never, I never really got, I mean, I just knew I was supposed to go on a mission, right? It was just what I was supposed to do, but I never really asked and it was hard. It was good, a good experience and it was a sacrifice and all that stuff. But, but, uh, culturally I grew up in a situation where it was, we were kind of following that mentality that Elder Pearson so plainly set forth, but without the abrasiveness. It was right. It was like you're a good person. You're gonna do it. You know, you're that's that's what's expected of you. You're gonna go serve, and and that's and at the time that was I think the right thing. But right now, especially since COVID, you have a situation where a lot of young people are going out and they're getting stuck in their apartments. <laughs> Yeah. And they spend a lot of time on social media. A lot of time on social media. As required by the church and it's not as, it's a different experience now than it was back then and 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 times have changed. Times do change. That's another thing we we tend to not uh account for in our cultural norms. We don't account for the changing times. The scriptures are replete with a variety of personalities and interactions and the, and the way that people have to uh, handle their situation. Uh, Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem. Lehi leaves Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Which one was the prophet? Which one was inspired by God? Did he, either one of them talk to God? Did either one of them think to ask the question? Were they dumb questions? Clearly, we have nuance yeah i don't think there's a lot of nuance though in this statement that he makes in my well i'm giving you my opinion (laughs) no no you you have the nuance but he uh, for him to say it's already been answered it's a dumb question is uh, appalling because it's not already been answered for individuals let's look at joseph smith right what question did he take to the grove? In the in the in the 
you know, kind of the accepted account? What what's well, the main question? I, I think you know because I, I can see your you wheels. You can spinning. see my wheels are spinning because I have read the varying <clears throat> accounts of the first vision, and I want to say that I believe the question was in all cases, which church should I join? Now, if you're, I know we have some real thinkers out there that uh, question a lot of things. And, uh, and, you know, like Fox Mulder says, question everything. Is that from the X-Files? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, he wants to believe. <laughs> Scully and Mulder, right? Yeah, they, 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 they've got to ask questions about everything. I think it's good to ask questions. I, I think that if you... But if you're a sincere person and you're sincerely seeking the true God of light, and 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 to be on their their team that you will do, you'll how can you not have the experiences that they want you to have the, the problem is i can't necessarily interpret that for you that or judge that you are doing what god tells you to do but uh so joseph took a basic question into the grove and i think the question i i i still think that even though it doesn't sound like he's asking that in some of his earlier accounts of the first vision, I think that he did go to the Lord and say, now the way it's pitched to us is which church should I join? I think which church of any is right. Yeah. I think that his intention was which, uh, which organization should I be aligning myself with? He had gone to a few, a few different churches, right? Congregation sat in their meetings. Mm -hmm. Now, wasn't that question of the time already answered, depending on who you asked? Well, sure. Right. If he had asked the Methodist preacher, he's going to say, of course it's us. If he had asked the, 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 the Baptists, they would have said, of course it's us. That's a, that's a stupid question. That question's already been answered. Right. And we, we seem to, in Sunday school, we tend to study Joseph Smith in a vacuum, and a lot of people will get into the whole, well, you know, he's not that special because this was a period of religious revival in America and all of that. And I, that's not what I want to talk about. I, I, he, let's put him in the context of the post-revolution America on the frontier. That's the context that I think is really important. They were struggling Right. He, they needed community. It's not like it's not like they had a church on every corner like we do here. They were fighting for their lives on the frontier. You got Indians running around, you got uh wars going on, you've got long distances between homes. They're mostly farming. It's very agrarian. And they come together for community. They did not have Facebook and Instagram. They did not know they weren't sucked into these phones. It's hard. It's really hard. You think that you can do it. You think that you can put yourself in the shoes of somebody else, but you go out into the woods for a month and then come back and talk to people and see how you feel. Take, don't take your phone. You know, Be isolated. See how you feel about surviving on your own for yeah, you a week. Clear, clear, clear some space that you can then grow crops on, yeah, cut down then, trees to build a shelter. And see, see what, how you feel about the idea of meeting with people on a weekly or a monthly basis or having people come by your home, feeding strangers in your home. But so, so anyway, he took a basic question that you could argue had already been answered. He also, what, what, what's the, the, the verse he was studying that pierced his heart? Well, he was intently studying the Bible 
yeah, at large, yeah. the one that the one that really um, wrecked his whole <laughs> paradigm was uh, the Epistle of James, uh, one verse five, right? Yeah, and and we could probably all quote it verbatim, right? What does it say? You quote it. <laughs> I don't know if I can quote it verbatim. I, well, but if any of you lack, if any of you, of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. I think that second part's really important. And it shall be given him. Right. Okay. So ask God. That's prayer. And it will be the answer will be given to somebody liberally, freely, freely given. And what's upbraideth mean? Well, uh, to reproach, to uh, scold. God is not going to be upset with you for asking questions. He's not going to say something like, well, that's a dumb question. Yeah, so you here you have Elder Pearson. If you have a sincere question. I Sure, and then we could talk about that. Because, but, because Joseph Smith said you could speak to the Lord as one man speaks to another, and my experience is that he has a sense of humor and will, will get you, like... As only a, a God, all-knowing God could, he'll cut to the core. Right. So you may think it's a dumb question. He may be pointing out that you already know an answer or something, but he doesn't. Right. He doesn't act like that. But I think there's a yeah, and it, here you have Elder Pearson upbraiding people for asking a dumb question. Now there's probably I know for a fact there's a lot of young people out there pondering the question. Should I go? And he's saying, no, you don't. That's not the right question. And I can kind of sort of understand what his point is. But his point is what he accepts as a given is that, yes, you must go. You should go because other people have told you to go. And it's a personal decision. That's what I keep coming back to is, is the decision to go or not to go. The, nobody gets to make that decision for you. Well, this is a this is a long, and that and I think that's true of ev- of ev- everything, right? We're supposed to well, that's commune the way, with God, and I agree with you. We we <clears throat> we both agree on that point, and I think our listeners probably in that in that direction, uh, except for the ones we've lost, I guess. Uh, but culturally, this has been a direction our church has been moving for a long time. in In 1945. The Improvement Era in the month of June had a quote that has been used from time to time to support the philosophical viewpoint that uh, the area authority here put forth. It says, when our leaders speak, the thinking has been done. Right, I've seen that. When they propose a plan, it's God's plan. When they point the way, there is no other way which is safe. When they give direction, it should mark the end of controversy. God works in no other way. To think otherwise, without immediate repentance, may cost one his faith, may destroy his testimony, and leave him a stranger to the kingdom of God. And who's that attributed to? The Improvement Area. (laughs) The Improvement Era, June 1945, a quote that was part of the Word Teacher's message. I don't know who wrote that. It sounds like it, it could have been written by someone in the bureaucracy without attribution. Yeah, that's a, uh, as they say nowadays, that's a problematic statement. <laughs> but that is, 
that is where we're at today. I think that's where we're much farther along than that. I mean, the, 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 this idea that the thinking has been done is, is ingrained and it's now being really pushed hard. Well, I, I would ask everybody, you know, when you attend your meetings, what are you getting out of it? I mean, are you really, is it enlightening? Is it, is it enlivening? Is it, is it, uh, do we have high expectations of each other t- that that we will that that our our neighbors will or, or that we would um push the boundaries and and reveal new things uh discover great things when when we teach each other do we do we have that or um are we waiting for someone higher up the chain to give us that and I think right. it's. I think my my point is to answer my question is the point is that the the way that the curriculum is structured now is that it's wait for the higher up the chain to tell you something interesting, or to tell you anything <clears throat> really. Right. Otherwise, that would be just dumb questions and things that we shouldn't talk about. I mean, what's the point? And what what's the point? Again, I'm trying to be sincere here. I'm not trying to like poke. Hornet's nests. Well, no, we are poking a but, hornet's nest, but didn't we didn't we bring up that uh, there was a video clip? Was it louder with Crowder who says, "Look, here's why people aren't attending." Yeah, uh, I mean, attending when, churches. When when I was at church on Memorial Day, and it was Memorial Day weekend, it was, <laughs> I was quite surprised at how few people were actually there, uh, even on a a holiday weekend. It was somewhat astounding i've heard from others who have insight into this into the organization like official insight that that attendance is down across the board pretty pretty big time um i think church attendance is down across denominations denominations too yeah but the the crowder guy was saying that look people are go people we have clear cataclysm going on in the society and they want you to comment on that at church they want the they want some leadership they want somebody to uh, to to actually address the elephant in the room to take the bull by the horns whatever whatever analogy we've got here they need somebody to be specific and and say that is wrong or this (laughs) you know you should you should feel okay standing up against the transgender lobby that that is mental illness when a man says he's a woman that's just not reality that's a psychosis that's you know no matter how no matter how they feel <laughs> that's just not reality you right. know and and anyone that has a legitimate sincere uninfluenced internal leaning that way needs some help what is and we it? shouldn't let them compete against our girls in high school sports i mean <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking the most obvious problem. People go to church and they want to be fed. They want to be fed spiritually and they want strong leadership and clarity about the confusing degenerate world that we're all trying to navigate through. I don't I think that's 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 not controversial to say and I don't think it's controversial to say that across the board we're not really getting much of that. But going going and back it, to it's a, it's hard for your leaders, right? Like your leaders what are they going to say? Why don't you give us a a, a, a sacrament talk and, and give us a hellfire and damnation speech on the evils of transgenderism? 
I mean, you could do that. It doesn't have to be hellfire and damnation, but you can just speak truth. You can speak the truth. You can t- you, you could give a, you could give a discourse about the divine nature and the importance of our our gender roles and that that were created in the image of God, both male and female. And you could elaborate on what that might mean. And there's a lot of ways that you could affirm the doctrine and the and the the gospel. Sometimes though, sometimes I think a little hellfire and damnation is is needed. Well, like think- the the pastor we linked to a few weeks ago, it says he was saying. After all this, you're just a doped up, cut up. Did we link to that one? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Man, but the Southern, then, yeah, the yeah. Southern Baptists. I mean, he he spoke it plainly and, and truthfully in, in his own unique style and, and method. And well, at a, at a time when uh, individual rights are being assailed, you know, it would be great if somebody came up and said, "Hey, look, we respect." the rights of man we you know we need to as a people protect these rights and 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 be able to say look it's in doctrine covenant section 134 rather than saying we're not a political organization the problem though the problem is that the challenge that someone would face is that institutionally they aren't being backed up the institution does not respect the rights of man i mean their their actions over the last few years have proven that and so you could get up in, 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 let's say, an LDS sacrament meeting and say something like that, and maybe— You could almost get chewed out you, for you it. You could be upbraided. <laughs> yeah, you, you could get in trouble for that. And I think that uh, that, that, I think, is the problem. And the reason that a lot of people are f- feeling unfulfilled by the, the teaching that's going on is that in the face of all of this, you're getting a, a, a very vanilla— you know, teach us about the, for example, how your how your understanding of the restoration of the priesthood has strengthened your testimony of the atonement. That that right. was the name. That was the t- uh, subject well, of a talk of one of our listeners, actually. Yesterday, let me let me use a, a recent example. Yesterday, the in gospel doctrine Sunday school, it was the the issue of. You know, but this is Pride Month, by the way. Happy Pride Month. Pride cometh before the fall. <clears throat> Maybe the fall's in July. I don't know. Um, but this issue of pride and same gender and transgender stuff was brought up in gospel doctrine. And the teacher quickly said, all we're asked to do is to love one another. And I almost piped up, because that's not all we're asked to do. But I just kept my mouth shut. But... That's the kind of idea, right? Well, we're just supposed to love and be nice to everybody. And yes, we should be nice and kind to people, but being kind doesn't mean lying to them or, or letting them destroy our society, right? No, uh, the thing... Uh, it's encapsulated in a comment I heard about the political process where one person indicated that the Democrats are always pushing bipartisanship, but their their definition of bipartisan is when you vote with them. Well, yeah, it's just Republicans voting with them. And right. Republicans do the same thing. Bipartisanship is a is a dangerous, sneaky word that usually just means state control. Right. And uh, so when we talk about loving and supporting the the gay agenda, their their definition of that is you allowing them to. To proselyte their, your children, you allowing them yeah. into the schools, you allowing, 
you allowing them to take over Disney. Well, and, uh, and us allowing them to set the terms on what is quote unquote hateful or bigoted. Or what is a woman? <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows. Now, what's interesting is in, in, in the, you have a little bit of a rift between the gay and lesbian groups and then the transgender people because... Yeah, gays and lesbians, the traditional gays and lesbians aren't extreme enough. They're not gay enough. Well, yeah, but they also don't like the idea that you have uh, like a lesbian. I think there was a, a woman in the Netherlands that faces jail time for saying that a biological male cannot be a lesbian. Yeah, it's all, it's all nonsense, and it's going to end up collapsing under its own stupidity. The question is, is it going to collapse society with it? Well, it kind of is. That's, uh, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> for a lot <laughs> of reasons. Already, that's what we want to talk about in church, right? That's what we want to say is, hey, society is well, collapsing. Isn't that, isn't that one of the primary fun functions of the gospel and the reasons for a congregation and a church is to prevent the collapsing of society or at least to learn how to prepare both temporally and spiritually for such a thing? In the in the eighteen hundreds, in the in the seventeen and eighteen hundreds, you had a bunch of defectors from England and from Northern Europe come over to America. Yeah, they but they saw the they saw the problems. These were religious defectors, free thinkers. They saw opportunity in America, and what did they see the opportunity for? A better society. Yeah. Zion, the millennium. They were religious refugees who, uh, I'm sorry to be somewhat facetious or sarcastic, but asked a bunch of dumb questions. Right, and, and, but here you have a, few different, you have a few different problems arise because we don't look at, and this is what I'm talking about, the context of the, the, the world that Joseph Smith lived in. We rarely look at the details about those people. We think they were these Puritans. Mm -hmm. The Puritans were the Orthodox. These are the type of people that would have burnt Tyndale at the stake for who, asking questions. He did burn Tyndale at the stake. <laughs> he was burned at the stake. Yeah, but that's the point, is the Puritans were, uh, they were very, very orthodox, very tight, very, this is the scarlet letter type of people, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, but you also had a bunch of free-thinking, hermetic, magic-oriented uh, types of people that come over to, to New England. Remember the Salem witch trials? Mm -hmm. Um, did you know that Joseph Smith's family was involved in the Salem witch trials? Mm -mm. His, uh, his great-great-grandfather uh, was one of the accusers, actually. There's a, there's a lot of interesting intertwined families <laughs> that uh, they, they were friends, and then they were enemies, and then well, they became friends again. There was not a lot of people again. back then in, in, yeah, in that yeah. region. There, the, the population was a lot smaller, and so the Smiths were actually interlinked to a lot of these uh, strange goings on in Massachusetts, in Salem, in Vermont, uh, New York, Pennsylvania, you know, uh, where they were always living on the frontier, on the fringe. Remember, the big city was Boston. And um, so in these smaller towns, there was a lot of farming going on and a lot of interesting folk magic and ideas yeah. and uh, what we would call radical Protestantism, not magisterial Protestantism. Magisterial Protestantism, these, these come out of the, the Lutheran Reformation. And uh, because Martin Luther was so bold, then you had a lot of break-off groups. Everybody, everybody was able to 
gain some distance from the, the Catholic Church and start to worship the way they thought was best. And, and then you get uh, pretenders and counterfeiters and, uh, and then you get the super orthodox. So, there, so, so Joseph Smith's culture was very diverse, very diverse. Right. And um, he, he, he comes out of that with a question, who should I be aligning with here? We want, I want, my family wants to be part of the society, part of the, the group that really does it. And we need to support each other. We need, we're in a time of turmoil, right? We, they just had fought the Revolutionary War and they're, they're living on the frontier and they're, they're, they've got their eyes on the West. Like, we're going we're gonna to make it happen. We're going to do the thing. One thing that's really the interesting. The thing that was on everybody's mind, which was Zion. One thing that's really interesting about that is that that Joseph Smith was a young boy when he had the, the first vision, right? And he told a few people about it, and he was still pretty young, you know, in his late teens, early 20s, when, he, when the Book of Mormon was published, and he really started kind of prosely- proselyting in, in earnest. And people believed him. This was a guy saying, God talks to me, God visited me. He showed me where these plates were hidden, and people believed him, which I think is interesting because it shows that people back then were, were more open to godly miracles and uh, God's kind of in- interference, if you will, they into our lives. They were expecting that. They were expecting that. If a person stands up, and we've had people, if a person stands up on a street corner today and says, God speaks to me, what happens to that person? They're crazy. Yeah, they're usually hauled off, right? Or mocked. Well, what if you say it in church? Yeah, then you are going to be on a list, probably. It depends on if, if God told you that the current president was a true prophet, then that's accepted. But if God told you something that's unusual or outside of the norm, then you're looked at with uh, a furrowed brow. Which leads me to a, a, a question that's all of these other issues have kind of led to this. This question on my mind is, what if, if referencing your quote, if when the prophet speaks, the thinking's been done, or even more recent ideas, like uh, I think Elder Rasband said something recently, like when when President Nelson speaks, he speaks for the Lord. Take that idea. If, if that's true and that's accurate, then what need is there for personal revelation? Because we're taught both things. We're taught that you must follow the prophet and that he speaks of the Lord, but also you have to hear the Lord, hear him is the, the you know, it's social media hashtag, hear him, and that we should seek personal revelation. Well, hear him, I think hashtag hear him means because they ask, how do you hear him? Right. And then people respond, well, by going to general conference. Yeah, through the 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 prophets. The Lord commanded the prophet to command you, as Elder Pearson said. So my question is, if we can just simply listen to the prophet and not even think about what he's saying because the thinking's been done and do what he says to do or think what he says to think— what good is there for personal revelation, or does personal revelation even exist at all? Well, 
and this is where it gets a little weird. I mean, I remember Henry B. Eyring speaking in the last few years saying it was our sublime privilege to have the confirmation of the Holy Ghost confirm that they were speaking the truth. And that, that so- it sounded kind of like that was the revelation we were supposed to seek was that... So God tells us that they speak for him. So a personal revelation is limited to confirming what we hear. Confirming that your leader is telling you to do the right thing. But the leaders tell us already that they're telling us to do the right thing, and we don't need to think about it, and asking about it would be a dumb question. See the, see the theological no, there's a problem here dilemma that they've painted themselves into here. Excess like, zeal... Zeal without knowledge. Zeal is the zeal is the thing. Hunibly says, "This would be a great time to read zeal without knowledge." <laughs> right. Uh, he says that zeal is the engine that drives the the automobile. But if you don't have the knowledge, then you end up wrecking the whole machine. Right. And the duty that devolves upon us. I think is exactly that personal revelation. Joseph Smith was asked how he manages his whole, all of these people. And he says, I teach them correct principles and they govern themselves. Right. Do we govern ourselves? That's my question to the LDS. Are we governing ourselves? Are we making these decisions? Are we making all the decisions at a local level? Are we governing ourselves? Do you want me to answer that? Or do you want to leave it hanging? That's a, that's a, uh, I don't know. It's like me lobbing a softball up there. You can let it hit in the dirt behind the plate or. Well, I was never much good at hitting softballs. It's kind of a weird trajectory. I was a better baseball player, but okay. But I, I don't think we do. And that's my, my, my answer is, is not, and not enough, not enough. And, and that doesn't mean I don't, I don't think that we need to be contrarian or iconoclasts, but we need to we need, and we say this every week on this show, we have to get ourselves in touch with God personally How is and that? figure out what personal revelation and instruction he has for each of us. Okay, so you and I both know how tight the control of the hierarchy is. Like if you, if you had an idea, and let's say two other guys in the, the ward had an idea, and they came in, and it was a good idea, and you went to your leaders and said, hey, we need... You know what? We're going to start campaigning. We're going to try and get everybody behind this. We want to do this as a ward. Can you imagine that actually working? <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends, right, on on what that idea is. If it's the idea an, if is it's an idea to have the idea a, is we don't want to do the ministering program anymore. Okay, yeah, that wouldn't work. Why? If, well, because that comes from the top. Okay. But if it was an idea to have a work, How about this? a work picnic or something, that, well, that's easy, <laughs> right? But, but what, what if what if it was we don't want to do regurgitation of the conference talks every month or every week? We want to do something different. We want to learn. We want to have Bobby Flood teach us about lectures on faith for six months. Would that work? Probably not. Is there something wrong with that? Uh, with the lectures on faith, the faith. No, no, no. With, the, with, <laughs> you, with yeah. you, yeah, or you proposing? Right. I mean, you could propose it, and it would just be like, "Oh, that's a good idea," but we've been told that we need to do this, this, and this because that comes from the curriculum, from the correlation committee. Sure, but it is the doctrine portion of the doctrine and covenants. Not anymore. <laughs> but no, I, there's no, I, there's no way right, to, there's no way to even have that you, discussion. You can you imagine having that discussion with your bishop? Yeah, it, it, uh, it, yeah, it wouldn't, 
go anywhere. You, you, you almost have to say, look, Bishop, I think there are some fundamental problems with the way the church is, is working right now. But as soon as you I say those words... Do, yeah, that's the problem. That's, and that's what, what, what kind of crept up in, in that little Twitter conversation I was trying to have with people. Is that it's immediately like, do you even follow the prophet? Do you even watch? Have you ever heard of General Conference? That was asked a few times. Like, really? Because I was asking questions like, can you show me, like, like in the, remember, this was in the context of missionary, going on a mission. I said, can you show me, like, the commandment that, or, or show me where it's this or that? And, and it's like, their, their answer was, one of the answers was, do you even watch General Conference? I was like, be specific. And he says, no, no, I'm done with you. You're kicking against the pricks. And I'm like, I'm just asking you to be, you're the, you, they were all the ones making claims that they were having trouble adequately backing up because these types of conversations make Mormons defensive and uncomfortable. And I, and I think going back to the, you know, the foundation of our episode yeah, I, today, like I'm, we need to have more of these types of conversations. Right. I'm, I'm refraining from quoting scripture because we could do this. We could Bible bash this out all day long. And I think I'm right. Right. And you think you're right. Uh, and they think they're right based on scripture, right? We could, we could Bible bash it all out. We could say, hey, DNC 121 says it's only by persuasion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, love unfeigned, and by pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul, that you can uh, uh, exercise priesthood dominion. And if you don't do that, then you're kicking against the pricks. I right. mean, is it, that, that's, one, that's where I would start if I was going to Bible bash this. But the point is, look, let's, looking at it philosophically, and I think that's why so, so many people are going, hey, something's not jiving here. Something's wrong because you don't have to, f- you can find a scripture and say, ha ha, right. uh, you should ask about going on a mission because if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Or what's the one from Second Nephi that the evil spirit says what? Yeah, second, I have this actually pulled up. Second Nephi 32, 8. I mean, this is and, the whole, should I pray or not, answer. Nephi says, And now, belo- now, my beloved brethren, I perceive that ye ponder still in your hearts, and it grieveth me that I must speak concerning this thing. For if ye would hearken unto the Spirit, which teacheth a man to pray, ye would know that ye must pray. For the evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. But behold, I say unto you, that ye must pray always, and not faint, that ye must not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place ye shall pray unto the Father's name, uh, unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul, unless it's a dumb question. See, I wanted to jump in and uh, say that, but I wanted you to finish reading Nephi's words. I wanted to put the asterisk in there. Pray always. You should never do anything except for, right? I mean that's that's essentially what what's been said in that, that fireside, and and think think back to the tone there. He says, "I perceive that you're pondering this in your hearts. I, I perceive that you guys are confused." He never says dumb question. Nephi, even though Nephi uh, was accused many times of speaking sharply, and it, and is often looked at as one of the most sharp, the most stern of yeah, the yeah, of says, the he says orators. It, it grieveth him that he must speak concerning this thing. When he he talks about that, how his brothers didn't like it. Uh, Laman said he afflicted them with his words, and they wanted to kill him over that. Earlier in the in the chapter, he says, "Wherefore now, after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand, then it, it will be because ye ask not, neither do ye knock. 
Wherefore, ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. Again, he's, he's saying you're not this asking is a mark, and this, praying about this stuff. You're not acting on these words. Here's the electric fence. And I'm, I'm privileged to say this. It is the mark of a true messenger that they will refer you to the Lord in every case. Right. I mean, uh, when Christ came to the Nephite people in Third Nephi, he had a similar line of dialogue, right? He says, I perceive in your hearts that you are having trouble understanding what I'm saying. I'm paraphrasing. And he lingers with them longer. He doesn't say, dumb question. He doesn't <laughs> say, I've already answered this question, you idiots, you disobedient idiots. He spends more time with them, and then he prays to the Father for them, and then he heals them. Yeah. Like, it's the same formula, right? Right. No, it always is. The, uh, but he, the issue is, it's the age-old issue. <laughs> Who do you serve? To whom do you look for, for uh, revelation and knowledge? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. Right? But that, that ought to be taken literally. And the, the issue at hand is that there are men who claim to replace him for you. Or to stand between you and him. Or to stand between him. you. And, and, and I, I don't and, like and, that. And, and the problem is that over time we have allowed, our parents, our grandparents, have allowed the discussion to uh, metam metastasize in such a way that when they say commandment or they say the Lord, it has become understood that that also means his servants. Whether, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same, which is a misreading of Doctrine and Covenants section yeah, 1. I just was reading about that last night. It says in Doctrine and Covenants section 1, my words shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. Now, the problem is that it has to be the Lord's word. Right. It cannot be what they, they can say it's the Lord's word. You can, I could come to you, Bobby, and I could say, Bobby, I'm a servant of the Lord, and Doctrine and Covenants section 1 says that whether by his voice or by my voice, it is the same. And so I'm telling you, thus saith the Lord, uh, you have a really nice truck, and you're supposed to sell it to me for a fraction of the market value because I really need a truck. In fact, you're supposed to loan it to me, whatever. You can say that. You can right. say it's the Lord's word. People say it's the Lord's word all the time, and that's the, that's the problem. The, when, when the Lord says that whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same, he's not recommending the servants to you without any qualification, without any testing, without any um, exchange of tokens or signs, which is how it's, it's described in the temple. He says, my word shall not pass away. It must be the Lord's word. That's the right. caveat. He's not giving them a franchise to well, do what they want. I think he's also saying that the Fulfillment of his word will come to pass regardless uh, uh, of means, whether through his servants or him directly or both, that word will be fulfilled. 
the other the other section section 84 where it says you know whoever whosoever receiveth my receiveth my servants receiveth me etc is um similarly contorted <clears throat> in that we have taught that it's a it's the equivalent of receiving the lord in doctrine and covenants section 84 that what what it's talking about is is by coming unto the priesthood by by obtaining your ordination in the church you're fulfilling that prof, prophetic statement in dnc 84 in reality by joining the group and and quote unquote receiving or accepting them as authoritative when in reality doctrine and covenant section 84 is talking about following the the knowledge gained from the ordinances in order to be sanctified in order to behold the face of god that's what it means if you don't read the full the full passage where it talks about the priesthood being passed and then how moses sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of god but they would not and so therefore the lord in his wrath <laughs> caused them to wander in the wilderness gave them the carnal commandments okay in his wrath because they wouldn't see the fa- seek the face of god and moses was taken out of their midst an interesting pattern there right moses is removed and they're stuck with the carnal <laughs> commandments but that's that's what doctrine and covenants section 84 is talking about is that if you will uh receive the word through the true messengers that will lead you to the face of god it will it will lead you to him in reality and not well, that's the, not not receiving a substitute. That's what Jesus taught his apostles at the Last Supper, right? You will see me and know me as I am. Now, part of the, if you love me, keep my commandments uh, sermon. But see, that's the, that, again, I go back to this theological dilemma where you're not supposed to ask the Lord about questions that have been answered. Then, but then how do you receive a witness to these questions? For example, is so-and-so uh, a prophet, okay? We have a, the tradition in the church is that the senior apostle uh, ascends to the presidency when the current president dies. So you, can, you already know who the next 12 presidents of the church are because of the order. So when, when Dallin H. Oaks becomes a president, if he lives long enough, are we supposed to ask the Lord if he's a, a prophet? Or has that question already been answered? Is that a dumb question? And I don't know that we even need to answer that right now, but I'm, what I'm pointing out is that according to Elder Pearson, he's, see, Pearson has created this theological dilemma, this hemlock knot that doesn't jive with, with uh, uh, the nature of spiritual knowledge and revelation. Because he's instructing you not to pray. And who instructs people not to pray? Well, well Nephi said it was the evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray. Yeah, I, I you know. teacheth him that he must not pray. Yeah, yeah you got to be really careful there. Um, the, I think the big question is philosophically, where are we really? Like, is there room for independent thinking people? Right now. Well, a better question, or maybe the question, I don't want to say a better question, a question that maybe you're getting to is, can, can and does the Spirit 
contradict what uh, the the hierarchy or the institution might be saying. Is it a possibility? Is it a possibility? And they would say no. And there have been talks given on that. Then that, if that the answer never the, the Holy Ghost will never contradict what's been revealed from the pulpit. Then why the should conference. we then why do we need the Holy Ghost? If it can't contradict what they're saying, then why do we need to have any kind of confirmation? Well, to confirm con- that they're prophets. That's the way that Henry But we I, don't Henry need, they don't it. need to be confirmed because they can't lead us astray. Well, but they do. You need to believe that. That's the logic. And that's right. where, but that's pretty kindergarten logic. I mean, is that where we're really at here? Because well, I mean, that's I what I'm most saying. Of, like, most like, of us have been, that's what the whole crux of don't pray about going on a mission is. Right, it be, right. That's what I'm saying. Like the 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 current kind of preferred narrative of the prophet can't lead you astray eliminates the need for any kind of reliance on the spirit, because especially we, when everything's micromanaged, like whether you should get a vaccine or not, or whether you should follow. The the cur- the thing that's most dangerous about allowing this to persist in your mind, if you're if you're uh, if you've listened this long, and you're wondering about um, you know the whole situation relative to the church and whatnot, is if we as a culture uh, allow this idea that we can never be led astray to persist, and that we must follow every um, every command or let's call it instruction every every edict every uh policy. every pronouncement policy etc as as put forth by the hierarchy of the church then you're in a in a strange situation because clearly during the covid situ- the covid uh debacle they deferred to government and if you think that the Mormon church is, uh, or the, the LDS church is very detailed and restrictive on behavior and what a person ought or ought not to do, governments are becoming equally, if not more, intrusive into what you ought or ought not to do uh, based right. on their, especially with the health, the health uh, department overreach and all that stuff. They're getting very, very intrusive into our lives uh, not just not just in matters of health but matters of education and regulation and w- we recently had um, a long discussion about the ministry of disinformation the ministry of truth what did they call it the, the they, they call it the ministry ho- of i guess homeland england secure, has it was the homeland dis- Homeland Security Dif- Disinformation Governance Board. Yeah, I in, believe. Yeah, it's the, uh, they call them ministries over in Great Britain. Yeah, the and in, and and in Orwell, it's the Ministry of Truth. Yeah, the uh, the problem here is, you know, see, we have the the church that claims to have truth, to be a, an arbiter of truth, and then now you have the government claiming to be an arbiter of truth, and you have the church saying yes. And and these guys are true messengers. Also, that we believe right. in honoring, obeying, and sustaining the law, and being subject to kings, rulers, magistrates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you have this this a good Mormon would follow the prophet, and the prophet would never say anything contradictory to the Holy Ghost. And by the way, we we uh, approve of everything the government is saying. Right now. In fact, I've seen people saying, well, no, 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 the letter, the vaccine letter was... In fact, we're supportive of it. Right. But you have people saying, no, 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 the vaccine letter was 
not a commandment. It was not him. It was not the first presidency speaking as the first presidency, even though it's signed the first presidency with their three well, names. And I know, I know they're and, all. But, but again, it, it raises that dilemma. Well, look, so there are how a lot of people know? out there. If you that those, I have to like Bobby and I right now. We're 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 taking a great risk to talk about this openly, but. Those are cognitive dissonances that we ought to be able to discuss and settle right. as as men. You know, right. I, I'm always when 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 people say no, it's this way or no, it's that way. I'm always reminded of the Princess Bride clip where he he's talking to the man with the six fingers and he says, uh, "We are men of action. Lies do not become us." <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. He says, let me get you to your ship. And he says, we are men of action. He knows that's not where it's headed. Let's not, let's, can we not, like, like if, if you and I get in trouble for this, like if we have, go through some sort of an ecclesiastical dressing down or something, it would be weird because we're asking honest philosophical right. questions. It's like, look, are we really, you, if you're going to uh, say excommunicate me or ostracize me for, for this type of thought, for asking these questions, doesn't that prove what you are? Because, right. because what we're saying is that this this doesn't work for rational people, and and so the people who are saying who are lawyering the statement written by lawyers about the vaccines that that's why it was written that way, so that you would be able to lawyer it and have those cognitive cognitive dissonances. But let but the elephant in the room is that. That's not what the way the church acted. That's not the way the people in your stake acted. That's right. not the way the people uh, no, there was, uh, around uh, you. When that letter came out, there was a lot of a lot of intra-ward and inter-ward and stake contention based on the people I spoke to about it and some of the experiences that I had and saw. It was it it it, it laid the foundation and caused a lot of contention right. among the, the the congregation now but listen and, i, I want to go back to so but we were, were told that that's not wasn't them speaking as prophets so how do you know when they're speaking as policy well, and makers what, and prophets how do you know the difference well, and that's what's going to be said about this pearson comment is, is like look everybody knows that's the problem everybody knows a kid should pray about it and everybody knows that there are kids they won't let go on a mission so when the guy makes a statement like that it's not fair to the kids that can't serve because, but it also eliminates the possibility that a kid who's able to serve is getting information from the Spirit, from the Holy Ghost, that either now's not the time, or it's not what I need you to do, or it's not right. It's not right for you. Would the Spirit ever tell you not to go home teaching or ministering? Would the Spirit ever tell you not to attend church on Sunday? Would, would the, the Spirit, Spirit ever tell you? Would it ever tell you to cut the head off a guy who stole your property and tried to murder you and your brother? <laughs> or would he tell you to leave Jerusalem? This is and and, and there's I know difficult. there's going to be people there's people out there that will say no the spirit would never tell you not to go home teaching the spirit would never tell you not to and those are the people you kicked the, whose hornet's nest you kicked exactly. over on Twitter but that's not the real the, are those real people I mean. Are we, are we are we really going to devolve to that? Like, yeah. Uh, I think if, as if, for if me you want to find out the real, uh, bring this up in your local elders' school. Well, as for what as I have, I have. As, I know. As for me in my house, I will serve the prophet. So it's a. I think the the bottom line here is it's a it's an interesting dilemma. I call it a dilemma. I think it's an interesting conversation that 
that that we should be having is what what role if the rhetoric about the prophet is if we accept that rhetoric that they cannot the prophets cannot lead us astray then then what need is there for any other type of uh, connection to, to heaven via the holy ghost via the scriptures via the the spirit via revelation what what it it, it undermines that entire promise that we are all children of God and can commune with him as one man speaks to another the the see it, it, again J- Joseph Smith should have just listened to his his spiritual no betters who told him no the heavens are shut you don't need to there's no way you you saw god i i've often wondered were there other josephs who had the vision and then didn't follow through who got scared who shut their mouths i don't i don't know it's just, it's just a thought i've had it's an interesting thought i do think joseph was prepared and and uh that that was his divine eternal calling if you want to call it that well are there are there other bright spots or other just and holy men of whom we know not who who taught between joseph smith's um dispensation and the time of christ right we we often look at that very that's kind of what i was wondering very yeah what we, I think we about. often look at it very uh rigidly as if the the mormon church or the lds church was the result of uh, a restoration that restored what we think the early christian church was and that there was nothing there's that, that there's been nothing good in between i think people like you nibley have demonstrated that there's a lot of good in between and and uh joseph himself would say that mormonism is interested in all truth all truth right well the book of mormon teaches that by the power of the holy ghost you may know the truth of all things all things and i like to emphasize that with my kids and and things that all things not some things not church well, not, things not, not political things not certain things all things right and and but, but we've we've definitely limited the di- the discourse and that's where guys like you and i i guess would get in trouble if we go out to our sunday school president or the bishop or whoever and say hey we want to talk about these things i uh well that's political you can't talk about that well yeah. everything's political yeah, everything's political. That's <laughs> that's right, and everything's and we're trying to economical, and everything is uh, religious. We're trying. We're trying to help things to not go beyond politics, right? And we're very quickly descending into that. That you know, he and Nibley wrote an essay called "Beyond Politics," where when you get when you go beyond discussions and the exchange of ideas, that the result is yeah. violence and death destruction it, it it does pain me a little bit that we've lost listeners over our treatment of the church and for sure well we we only know were... of one who kind of said that and we don't know we well, don't know, know how many we don't know how many we've gained because of well that. i know i've offended <laughs> i know i've offended people in the past too uh over some of my comments and my my intent is not to to make enemies or cause people to run screaming from the room but i have to ask you all if you're if you're still with us and you're and you're disconcerted if you're worried and you're and you're you're concerned about this 
you need to remember that, um, well, you have to ask yourself the question, is it even a possibility that an institution like um, the LDS Church could be making serious mistakes, okay? Because if that's on the table, then you need, to, you need to behave accordingly. And if it's not on the table, then you're accepting a whole host of problematic cognitive dissonances because the main, the main tenant, I, I believe that, you're, that the uh, clip that you played and the responses you're getting and the way that way that I've my interactions have gone in in church and the way the way that we know we all know the way that things are culturally operating right now it is the elephant in the room the main tenant is that that following the hierarchy is is the prime directive essentially the prime moving uh, factor in Mormonism in, or in, in LDS Mormonism right now mm-hmm. that, that following the hi- hierarchy is the main key and that's the big problem is uh, if that's the case then you're, you're putting your lives your salvation essentially in their hands well this, uh, in this clip Elder Pearson Elder Pearson is claiming to know what you can and can't and should and shouldn't pray for and pray about. And I don't think anybody but you and the Lord can determine that. Um, So pray about the things you think you should pray about. There's no, I don't think there's any dumb thing to pray about. If you're, if you're sincere and your heart is, is pure. I think that, um, you know, we learn in the Book of Mormon about the oh, what's their names on the Ramiumptum and the and the nature of their the Zoramites. prayers, right? The Zoramites <laughs> and the nature of their prayers. Uh, that's that's a different thing. I think that if you're sincerely seeking answers to questions, whether it's to serve a mission or whatever, you should. In the words of Nephi, ye must pray always and not faint. That ye must not perform anything. Unto the Lord, save in the first place, mm-hmm. ye shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul, your soul, not for the welfare of others, not for the welfare of the church, not for the welfare of anything except your soul. I, I would encourage you listeners to be bold in your prayers and be bold as you uh navigate the world uh be, because if you open that door to the possibility that you might get a, an answer that's different to a church policy or to what's the prevailing cultural or or hi, handbook um policy is it's going to put you in an uncomfortable position it's it's uncomfortable to be outside of that mainstream. Yeah, it is. Uh, in any, it's uncomfortable to be outside of any mainstream. Right. But more and more, uh, the, the way the world's going, the way that society is, is going, I think more and more of us are finding ourselves outside the mainstream and wondering, 
are there others out there? And what do I do? What do, what do I do about any of this? <laughs> and the, those answers can vary, right? Like you mentioned earlier, Lehi left Jerusalem, Jeremiah stayed. Yeah. So figure out what the, the Lord needs you to do. Um, we teach the kids all the time that, you know, the Holy Ghost is going to warn you, right? It's going to make you feel uncomfortable when you're at that party and there's alcohol or you're doing something you know it's not right. You're going to get a bad feeling, right? Right. And then we, we, we basically move past that for some reason as adults, and then we teach only that the fruit of the Spirit is peace and that you're going to get a good feeling, and it's going to be like listening to the Tabernacle Choir or like conference or whatever, kind of a hypnotic trance sort of a state or something that you'll, you'll feel no unease when you're, being, uh, when you're, when you're feeling the Spirit. And, and so I have to ask you point blank, guys, girls, if you're feeling, if you're wondering about some of the stuff that's going on in the institution, is that the Holy Ghost? Is that God warning you? Nephi also says in 32.3, 2 Nephi 32.3, angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost. Wherefore, they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore, I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. I don't think that the Book of Mormon uses the phrase all things uh, coincidentally or lightly. I think sort it, of a keyword, a code word. It literally means all things. It's also kind of a code word, isn't it? Like there's a set of things of all things or like as pertaining to your salvation or... Well, I think it means anything also, but... Well, yeah, all things I, yeah. means all things, right? <laughs> yeah. The words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. So if you're struggling right now to figure out what you should do about anything that you are struggling with, whether it's professional or spiritual or uh, economic or whatever, feast upon the words of Christ. And pray, like he says. I mean, Second Nephi chapter 32 is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's advice. short and to the point, and it's beautiful, and uh, it's... Uh, it's relevant, extremely relevant. I think the I think the Holy Ghost is warning a lot of us with uneasy feelings right now. We're, I think those uneasy yeah. feelings are evidences that that something's not right. I, I think that the Holy Ghost teaches truth, and that uneasy feeling you get is your reaction to truth. And when the truth is uncomfortable, you feel uncomfortable. The truth is almost always uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I think once you've reconciled to it and you know it, right. then you feel peace. Sure. So it is a dichotomy, a dual, a dual-edged sword, so to speak. But then once you reconcile it, then you're you're at peace with it. Right. But then you have to speak it, and that can be uncomfortable. You always have to speak it. That's between In, you and God, right? Yeah, right. In different ways, I think you have to speak it. Doesn't mean you have to. Well, the problem you know, is if, people or con- confront people, but you have to change there's change yeah that have that's to be the thing made. is when it when it changes you and it changes your behavior then that's what makes it uncomfortable because you often find yourself uh, swimming in a different direction or you know one of these things is not like the other that's that's the uncomfortable situation in verse 5 nephi repeats for behold again I say unto you that if you will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show 
unto you all things what ye should do. So twice he repeats all things what ye should do in two verses. Yeah. Or in verses three and five. And there shall be no more doctrine given until he shall manifest himself unto you in the in, flesh. In the flesh. Unto you in the flesh. Who's that? It's you. Oh, it's not the Nephites at the time of Christ? It's unto you in the I flesh. He, I was it, taught that that meant the Nephites, that this was talking about the Nephites uh, at the time of Christ, and because it says, oh my... 600 years later? Yeah, oh my beloved brethren, right? That's how the chapter starts, my beloved brethren, I mm-hmm. perceive that you pondered this. And see, I think I would, I would add to that, oh my be- beloved brethren in Christ... One time I was reading, I read this, like, there was like four or five days in a row that I could not figure out what it was saying there. And so I just kept re- reading this every day. I read and pondered Second uh, Nephi chapter 32, and then the whole thing hit me. Unto you in the flesh that it was talking to me. Right. The reader of the book. <laughs> the, it, this gets really interesting here. I guess maybe we can conclude with this, but that same verse, verse 6. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. Which means if we want further night knowledge, we need to have Christ manifest to us in the flesh. And when he shall, now this is back to quoting, and when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you, shall ye observe to do. I think that's, he's kind of saying <laughs> When he manifests himself to you, do what he says, <laughs> which is good advice, right? <laughs> good advice. And then he says in verse 7, he says, Now I, Nephi, cannot say more. The Spirit stoppeth mine utterance. And I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff-neckedness of men, for they will not search knowledge, nor understand great knowledge when it is given unto them in plainness even as plain as word can be. And then he goes on to teach them about prayer and the nature of prayer. Seems like he kind of anticipated how that would be misunderstood there. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he stops elaborating on this doctrine of Christ manifesting unto us in the flesh. I mean, we, we take chapter 31 as an as a, uh, advice to us about getting baptized and following the way and getting the Holy Ghost, but then then all of a sudden, for some reason, the seminary teachers punt on verse 6 of chapter 32 that somehow that doesn't apply to you, even though all the foregoing applies to you. Right. Verse 7 does not apply to us. We are not stiff-necked, stiff-necked wicked, or ignorant, and we, will, we obviously search knowledge and understand great knowledge. No, I'm being a little sarcastic, <laughs> but I think we've all—I know I've fallen into those categories, of course. Well, to and quote, I th- but I think that's a the, one of the biggest uh, uh, purposes of our being here is to seek knowledge, even great knowledge, when it's given to them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. I think that's well, that's brilliant. Bear with me, guys, for one second longer, because uh, according to Joseph Smith, and I'm just going to read Joseph Smith here from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. This principle ought in its proper place, which I hope today is the proper place, you're all voluntarily listening to this, to be taught. For God hath not revealed anything to Joseph, but what he will make known unto the twelve, and even the least saint may know all things, there's your word again, all things, as fast as he is able to bear them. For the day must come, the day must come, when no man needs say to his neighbor, know ye that Lord, for all shall know him who remain. 
<laughs> that's ominous. All shall know him who remain. From the least to the greatest. How is this to be done? It is to be done by this sealing power and the other comforters spoken of, which we manifest by revelation. And then he goes on to talk about the two comforters. There are two comforters spoken of. One is the Holy Ghost, the same as given on the day of Pentecost, and that all saints receive after faith, repentance, and baptism. This first comforter or Holy Ghost has no other effect than pure intelligence. That's why I say truth, right? It is more powerful in expanding the mind, enlightening the understanding, the storing of the intellect with present knowledge of a man who is the literal seed of Abraham than one who is a Gentile, though it may not have half as much visible effect upon the body. For as the Holy Ghost falls upon one of the literal seed of Abraham, it is calm and serene, and his whole soul and body are exercised by the pure spirit of intelligence, while the effect of the Holy Ghost upon a Gentile is to purge out the old blood and make him actually the seed of Abraham." That man has none of the blood of Abraham naturally, must have a new creation by the Holy Ghost. In such a case, there may be a more powerful effect upon the body and visible to the eye than upon an Israelite, when the Israelite at first might be far before the Gentile in pure intelligence. Now, that's interesting. I don't want to get into the whole physicality of the whole thing, but listen to this, because it's of great interest. The other comforter spoken of is a subject of great interest and perhaps understood by few of this generation. I'm just quoting Joseph Smith. Listen to how he says it. Understood by few of this generation. After a person has faith in Christ, repents of his sins and is baptized for the remission of his sins and receives the Holy Ghost. Now remember, repent meaning change of heart and mind, okay? Having a massive change of heart and mind repenting of your error, changing your heart and mind away from your error, and being baptized for a remission of the sins and receives the Holy Ghost by laying on of hands, which is the first comforter. Then let him continue to humble himself before God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness and living by every word of God, meaning what God's telling him through the Holy Ghost. And the Lord, Lord will soon say unto him, Son, thou shalt be exalted. When the Lord has thoroughly proved him or her and finds that the man is determined to serve him at all hazards, then the man will find his calling and election made sure. Then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter, which the Lord hath promised the saints, as is recorded in the testimony of St. John in the 14th chapter from the 12th to the 27th verse. And then he goes and he reads it. And he says, I'll pray the Father, he'll give you another comforter, that he may be and abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither it knoweth him not. But ye know him, for he dwelleth within you and shall be in, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. By the way, that word in Greek is orphanus. I will not leave you orphaned. I will come to you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. If a man love me and keeps my word, and my he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our abode with him. Now what is this other comforter? It is no more or less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the sum and substance of the whole matter, that when any man obtains this last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him or appear unto him from time to time. And even he will manifest the Father unto him, and they will take up their abode with him. And the visions of the heavens will be opened unto him, and the Lord will teach him face to face, 
and he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And this is the state and place the ancient saints arrived at when they had such glorious visions. Isaiah, Ezekiel, John upon the Isle of Patmos, St. Paul in the three heavens, and all of the saints who held communion with the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Now, when has that been taught in church recently? Mm, I don't know. I can't think of a time. I mean, is it possible you would get uh, chastised for bringing that up, saying it's too, it's inappropriate or? Definitely possible. I mean, I guess it would vary from word to word. But it's not taught in in a in general conference type setting. Not 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 as boldly as Joseph taught it there. To serve him at all hazards is quite a a daunting thought. Right. When, uh, and it, and it requires a whole a, new episode, a whole was, new podcast. Right. It, it requires a, an individual to really know the voice of the Lord. I mean, you don't want to be following the wrong. Holy Ghost or the wrong, you know, the wrong impressions. We know there are multiple influences working upon us, and we know that um, it's sometimes difficult to discern. If, he, if he's going to ask Nephi to kill a man, is he going to ask you to kill a man? Well, that is uh, dangerous territory, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, you've got the, the Daybells up in Idaho who appear to have taken that to the extreme. There's a, yeah, and didn't the Lafferty brothers claim God? Yeah, there's told a whole to do that. Yeah, I was talking about this with some friends. There's a Hulu uh, series out there called Under the Banner of Heaven. Right? Yeah, they killed a, uh, one of the the wives and and the child because she was too liberal or something. Or right, you you guys, the duty that devolves upon us individually is massive. I'm I'm not saying it's not a scary thought like but why in a war like is going on right now in this world why would it any be any less epic with you as the hero or the heroine why would it be any less epic right and what and what is that um what is that starting point and if you if you've been in doubt in the Mormon temple there's a starting point in the garden of eden Adam and Eve were given tokens. There's something within you, in your heart, you know right and wrong. You can recognize that voice and start to walk that path little by little, grace by grace, for the Lord to fill in the gaps as you try to follow the Holy Ghost, as you try to change your heart and mind to the truth and abandon the error. It's a doable thing. But it is hazardous, a hazardous journey. It is definitely. The, the straight and narrow we often think of as straight, like a ruler. It's right. Not, that's no. not how it's spelled. Right? No, it's, it's spelled as straight as in a narrow, narrow. passage. In, it's it, a steep and winding and In many cases in the, in the midst, rocky it's, trail. A, it's a labyrinth. For sure it is. Yeah, that's, it's a that's, labyrinth, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of myths based on labyrinths and finding one's way through tunnels and darkness right there there's a there's a labyrinth uh in the cre- uh, constructed in the stone on the floor of the ca- the great templar cathedral at chartres in uh france mm-hmm. uh, west of paris 
beautiful, amazing thing. They put chairs over it. They don't really want you to look at it much. Right. <laughs> but it's like, why is this labyrinth here? It's well, pretty this, amazing. We should probably wrap it up. Okay. Um, I would go on and on and on and on, but uh, I... I find this whole thing very interesting. I hope that anyone that's listening to this whole thing will forgive us of any uh, errors of men or, or or bad feelings. My my intent also, I'll reiterate what Bobby said earlier, we're not trying to get people to leave the church, but it does sound like we're saying that you should be uh, careful about what you're being, quote, commanded to do by hierarchy. And that is the dangerous statement here. But... If we're past the point of praying, you know, can you not pray about a calling? Can you not pray about a mission? Then what are we? That's what I would posit to any church authority listening to this. If are we if you come out against, you know, if you come out to discipline me or Bobby over this, you have to concede that we're past the point of praying that your your rule is absolute. Right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you uh, have a great week. And uh, we will be back again next week for... Actually, I just remembered, I will not be here on Monday. We will not be back again next week. So we'll have to work that out. <laughs> something will happen next week. Uh, otherwise, go listen to our back episodes or something. But thank you, everybody. I am Bobby Flood. He is... Jordan Bruno. We are the Mind Virus show, and we are signing off.